If you're an early adopter like me, you'll love the thrill of jumping headlong into a new technology and learning how to use it along the way. But the bigger and more groundbreaking the technology, the steeper the learning curve. My guest today is Tiffany Overton, a US native and Lean Principles consultant who has called Australia home for the past 10 years and who decided to undertake her own learning curve on an around Australia trip straight after buying her beautiful but slow to charge Mercedes EQC 400 in 2022. Tiff's fascinating journey inadvertently made her the first woman to drive solo around Australia in a non-Tesla electric vehicle, and as she found out, her particular learning curve resulted in some particularly curly situations. This is the Elevate EV podcast, and I'm your host, Bridie Schmidt. First, I'd like to acknowledge the Bundjalung people, traditional custodians on the land on which this podcast has been made, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. As I discovered when I first met Tiffany in 2022, she is no stranger to adventure and innovation. Her incredible road trip last year in her Mercedes EQC took her from the New South Wales Central Coast through Melbourne and Adelaide to the vast stretches of the Nullarbor and then to the challenging Northern Territory before heading down through the Red Centre. This episode uncovers the thrilling yet demanding experience of Tiffany's road trip, revealing insights into what it takes to travel across Australia in an EV, as well as discussing the gradually evolving EV charging landscape in Australia and what to think about if you're in a position to be buying an EV yourself. From Tiffany's choice of the Mercedes EQC 400 and the unexpected obstacles related to charging speeds, to her interactions with people and the upsides of slowing down to explore the beautiful Australian outback, Tiffany's story is filled with valuable lessons. Okay then, let's charge on to this latest pod. Tiffany Overton's with me today on the Elevate EV podcast. Tiffany, I talked to you about a bit more than a year ago now about a road trip that you did. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. This is fun. So Tiff, do you want to get started by telling us who you are, what you do, and maybe the reasons behind why you decided to buy an electric vehicle to do a road trip? Sure. So you might tell from the accent. I came from the States. I've been in Australia 10 years. Got my citizenship the December before I set off on the trip last year, June. I'm a consultant um, in business and technology. It's hard to define what I do, but I've been trained in lean practices and principles. It's about systems thinking. It's about optimizing how work flows through a system. I'm old. Lean's been around since the rebuilding of Japan, and it was those lean principles that were adopted by the technologists who built Agile. So what I do is I go into organizations and I start to problem solve where work isn't flowing well, 
where there's waste in the system, where there's issues with quality. And that usually in Australia is tied to technology delivery. Look, the whole world is struggling to keep up with technology. The, the pace is, is really fast. So I guess that one of the first things I wanted to ask you, and I'll include some links in the show notes when I finish, but I wrote an article about Tiffany's road trip last year. You started out in the Central Coast and made your way down to Melbourne and then sort of across to Adelaide and then and then hit the infamous Nullarbor and all sorts of charging adventures and challenges started there. Well, we know that electric cars don't ruin the weekend. People are regularly proving that. <laughs> but travelling around remote areas of Australia is still at the current moment something that is has got its challenges. The car that you bought had its own particular challenges. And maybe you could talk to us about what you bought, um, the purchasing process, shall I say? And, and what that meant for your road trip. So look, I I shopped around so a year and a half ago and I I liked the idea of having a car that still looked a bit more like a luxury car than, you know, than a rocket ship. I have never had a luxury car. I splashed out for a Volkswagen Golf when I bought my first car after my divorce 14 years ago. So I was at the point in life where I wanted to just have exactly what I wanted. And the EQC was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful vehicle. And it fit the bill. It had a big battery. And I knew I wanted range. And so that's what I went for. But look, you don't know what you don't know until you find out you didn't know it. And what I didn't know is it was a terrible choice for a drive around Australia because the onboarding of the power into the batteries, and you guys will figure out very quickly, I'm not an engineer, I have engineers on my team, but the actual charging of the battery happens really slowly in this vehicle. And it happens slowly, I am told, because as Mercedes cheaped out on the cooling of the batteries. And so in order to make sure that they don't overheat, you jump in and, and explain this better if you want. In order to not overheat the batteries, you can either cool the batteries as they're charging or you can limit how much energy flows into those batteries. And so that's what they chose to do in this early model was to limit the amount of power flowing in, which means it takes forever for the car to charge relative to some of the new cars. Now, if all you're doing is driving around and going to the grocery store, you can top that off overnight. If you're going on a little adventure, the battery's big. I can go three, you know, I can go 315 kilometers if I'm doing just high, highway driving, but I can do another hundred. I can go four plus if I'm doing regenerative braking, if I have it on one of those um, gears that charges the battery. But oh my goodness, that that ended up being the bane of my existence, that it just took a long time to get that car charged. Yeah. And so what you're talking about is in particular the AC charging. And I guess I wanted to you know bring this up because we're seeing a really massive increase in electric vehicle uptake now in Australia. Lots of people going out there buying EVs. And so, you know, what do they need to look out for when they're talking to salespeople? in particular. Um, so, you know, there's two types of charging. There's AC charging, which is the slower charging that you do off the wall at home or maybe at a shopping centre or in your case at, at road houses and camping spots along the way. 
Um, and then there's DC charging, which is fast charging, um, which is what we'll generally see sort of on highways. And of course, there's, you know, a whole bunch of government funding that's going to be changing that soon. The NRMA is rolling out a national network. So hopefully soon the sort of challenges that you ran into that we'll get into won't be such a common occurrence. So you posted a series of LinkedIn posts, which really did a great deep dive into your trip. And I will post some links to that in the show notes as well. But one thing I noticed when I was reading them is that when you went along to the Mercedes dealership, you were about to buy a 2022 model. They had a 2020 model on the floor. What did that mean? Like you said, if you don't know, you don't know. The challenge is, especially if you're in a traditional car shop, you know, the the EV dealers, if they're just selling EVs, let's hope they are better informed. But my experience in when you're talking to the shops that started as traditional cars, petrol carbon fuel cars, and now they're moving into electric there's a learning curve for them as well. Yeah. So I went in there because Mercedes had switched to this new system where you could see all the stock that was coming in the ships that was available in the country. You could buy a car without ever having to go into the showroom if you wanted to. There were lots of kinks with that system. It turned out to be quite painful. Let's hope they fixed that because it took like a month and a half for that seamless no pain process to go from start to finish. But I walk into the dealership thinking that I want the white one that's a 2022 model that's coming on the ship. And they had made changes between 20 and 22 that helped to address how slowly the 20 was charging. But I didn't know that. And when I walked onto the floor, this one that I have, it's beautiful. It's like this matte silver finish. It looks like, you know, if James Bond had an electric car, it would be this one. At least that's what. And I thought, oh, I just want that one. So I asked the salesperson, like, is there any downside to me choosing this pretty silver one that's been sitting in your showroom for two years? It had no miles on it versus the one that's on the ship. And it's like, no, there have been no significant changes. If you like that one, we can make that happen. And had he given me any inkling that there would be this slower to charge issue, I would have just taken the white one on the ship, but he didn't. And, you know, my bad, I should have done the research, but how do you do that? You know, I'd read the articles that I could read about the EQC 400, lots of them, but that bit about the charging hadn't popped up in any of the literature. And I have a sales guy who doesn't give me that heads up. And so I ended up with a really beautiful, very fun to drive and very slow to charge. And it's even slow to charge on the DC chargers. So the most that I take on board is like 32, 35 kilowatts per hour. Like, so even if it's offering a lot more, that's where I tap out. So my battery takes on a DC charger two and a half hours for a full charge. Yeah, that's quite incredible. I, I had a quick look at the difference between the 2020 and the 22 model. The top charge DC rate for yours is supposed to be 110 kilowatts, which you won't get unless the battery is nearly empty when you go to charge it. But it does sound like yours is not living its best life, shall we say. It, it's never charged at that rate. And so I, I did have... 
after I crossed the Nullarbor, I ended up in Kojnup and I had a day where I put it on a destination charger and I got an error message. It wouldn't charge. And it was it was a pretty terrifying moment having, you know, gotten as far as I had without charging so slowly, but no real dramas apart from the fact that I needed to be very, very patient. And I get this error message and I'm not yet to purse. And so I scramble to get an appointment in the Perth dealership because they're the only ones who are going to service an EV. Um, couldn't do it in Bunbury, couldn't do it, you know, like that was it. So I, I got myself there and they ran a bunch of software updates and they had a look and they too seemed pretty disinterested and unfamiliar with EVs. You know, the manager was very kind to get me in, but he spent a lot of time time talking to me about what a motorhead he was and how he didn't like EVs and I'm Thanks. Oh, I think they're lovely. They thought that those upgrades might give me a faster charging speed, and they haven't. They didn't. It was just the same, but I didn't have another problem with the charging. And I got all of my engineers looking into the issue from Solid Systems when I got that error message. And as far as they could tell, it was about maybe the battery getting hot because I had left Esperance, drove to Ravens store, did a full charge, drove again to Cogen up, and then it was like a, a bridge too far to ask it to charge again. I started getting to the point where one charge a day was about all I could get done. So the problem has, hasn't resurfaced. So I, I do believe it was a yeah, look, hopefully they resolved that in the later models. I know that the top DC charge rate is 170 kilowatts for the 2022 model. And you went around Australia. After you go west of Adelaide, there's not a lot of options other than stopping at roadhouses. Of course, there's a bunch of biofuel chargers that use old chip oil at roadhouses that were installed by a lovely bunch in WA with some funding that was from the Tesla Owners Club of WA and, and the Tesla Owners Club of Australia. But you went around Australia charging in those remote areas at 7.4 kilowatts. That was your top rate. And just to explain what this means to people that perhaps aren't so EV savvy, you've got an 80 kilowatt hour battery in your car. So that means that it's going to take about 10 hours or a bit more to charge from zero to full on if, if you can get that 7.4 kilowatt charge, which you would only get through wall charges, whereas you're actually stopping and having to use at the time power points or maybe a 15 amp plug at a roadhouse. Is that correct? Which is take, means, means it's going to take even longer, right? Because the power point will be 1.7 kilowatts and the 15 amp charges. Yeah, it's around 3 or 3.2. Right. So, so my charging options were just a house outlet, like you said, which trickle feeds. If I went to a caravan spot. You have to have special plugs. I ended up ordering them and having them sent to Perth because I wasn't really set up. I understood that there were 32 amp plugs along the way. Didn't understand that I had to bring my own cords. When I started the Nullarbor, Seduna has Tesla destination chargers at the East West Hotel. So that's where I stayed. Then I get to Penang and I'm supposed to go to the, to the caravan park there and you're supposed to be a 32 amp plug and there was and so he said just pull out your corns and I'll hook you up and I was like 
or you don't have them. Like truly, I was starting from an understanding in zero about some of these things. So I couldn't use the 32 amp or the 15 amp outlets that were available to me until I got to Perth and picked up the cords that I had purchased after I figured that out and sent them to a friend so that I could meet her and pick that up. So that meant that my options were DC chargers and until they ran out, Tesla destination chargers that could give me a full charge overnight, but you know, I did need those 10 hours. If I got onto one of the caravan chargers, it would take about 12, 14 hours to get a full charge because I was getting like three, three, two. So it, you know, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. And there was a few times where the only charge I could get was from a house outlet. And that meant I had to camp for two days or stay somewhere for two days and find things to do until I could move forward. And look, I've got to say, I, I really think all kudos to you because you faced an incredible amount of challenges, but you did work it out along the way. And I guess there was an upside to your trip slowing down, wasn't there? We have some amazing outback to explore in Australia. Exactly. That was the point. So I was doing some work along the way. Then after I finished up with the client that I was on, it just, it did make me slow down and explore a little bit more than I would have otherwise. And I I found a lot of little pockets and I, I made the best of it. And you can either be mad about Mercedes and their slow charger every day, or you can shift your mindset and say, all right, I have this opportunity now. What am I going to do with the, the time while I'm here? And there are so many people who are happy to let me charge and get to know me and sell me lovely meals. And I had my electric scooter in the back. And so I'd go on adventures and I, I had a great time. It was, you know, there were times where it was exhausting to be problem solving and coming up with plan B and C and D, but it was worth it. It was worth all of all of the effort that it took to be at the beginning of this new system of charging in, in, in a place where it had not been problem solved for. Yeah, and I guess as you said, that's kind of what you do is work out where those problems are in systems along the way. To play devil's advocate, do you think it was it's the car maker's responsibility to explain all of the sort of ins and outs of charging at purchase time? I noticed that one of the comments that you made was one of the first charges that you got to along the way didn't explain the process of plug in, press the button. And I know a lot of people have come across this issue with some of the AC charges. If you don't do it in the right order. It doesn't work. Where, where does the responsibility lie for helping people work these things out, do you think? Yeah, well, I, I think there are two issues. You know, one at the time of purchase. I am forever mad at Mercedes that I wasn't given the information to make an informed decision at the time, like forever. My trip would have been a lot less painful had I been able to charge more quickly. And I'm not so into the gray car that I wanted to spend that many extra hours versus the white one that was on the ship and was going to be there in a few weeks, right? So had I had that information, and it was very hard as a consumer to find that on my own a year and a half ago, because I was trying to do my due diligence, I would would have had that white car and I would have had a faster 
faster turnaround, which would have been helpful. So th there's that part. The second part is these are nascent systems. This is a whole new way of driving. None of us grew up with mom having an electric car. Like, you know, there's no history of it. Because they're a new system, it would be helpful if when they're pictographs on the charging unit, that they were really clear about the order. And this is where, you know, you, you start to think as you do when you're designing software, like what is that user experience? And I literally left the Central Coast having never used a DC charger as I started on my adventure. Like I'll figure it out as I go along. I had my charging apps ready to go, but when it came to do it the first time, I, I learned and that was since repeated at a bunch of other charging experiences, had over a hundred of them on that trip. The way that those actual charging units are built, if there are five steps, and you do step two and three out of order, it doesn't engage. And those steps aren't obvious. You know, we're learning. It's all new. And then, so is it, do you do you engage the app, swipe the card, push the button, then plug it in? Or do you plug it in and then push the button? And when you get it wrong, it doesn't kick off. And because it's new, you get a little bit of panic, like, oh, does, is it working? Am I breaking my car? Am I going to get the power? And yeah, hysterically for me, because, you know, of course, I would try my first time at using a DC charger that was in an underground parking lot. And so it didn't get really good Wi-Fi. And I didn't bother to get the hard card that I could have used as a backup and just touched onto the unit. I was going to do it all on my devices. Well, I'm about to go where there's very little device connection, but the DC units drop off there. Those chargers, they're set up so that you can just use your device, use an app. But if you're in that parking garage, the app wasn't working that well. So I ended up having to run out of the parking garage get a signal running up the car's only ramp. You know, it, it spent for 20 minutes of, of me looking pretty ridiculous. It was a, a steep learning curve, but it was never as hard as that first time. Yeah, sure. And, you know, you got there in the end. There's an interesting thing about Australia being, as you said, quite nascent in the EV transition. I just spent some time in the UK and I had the pleasure of driving a Polestar 2 for a couple of days and many thanks to Polestar for that opportunity. What I found out when doing that was, you know, yeah, those friction points at the charges, which I've come across here in Australia too, but the UK is just a little bit further along the road and, and they're actually starting to introduce legislation that means that any major EV charging network has to provide contactless payment options, for example, which will help reduce those issues. What other friction points did you come across along the way? I guess particularly along the more remote stretches? Well, look, there are times when the only way that you can charge your car is to um, pull into a caravan park and hook up to a caravan plug. That means paying for the caravan spot. And so I spent many nights pulled up between giant gray nomad caravan things, and I would be 
sleeping in the back of the Mercedes EQC 400 on the charger. The way that power actually drew, I'd have to come in and spend almost 12 hours to really be fully charged. And so it was a day of between big caravans to, to get the charge. And that was the only way it could go forward. But not I was in all of these great remote places and there was hardly anything else there. And it was, you know, it was the tax of being there at that time. And I was happy to pay it because once I had those charging cables that I needed in order to charge on the 32 amp three phase plug in Penang, almost all of the roadhouses had those. And I used the plug share app and the EV community has done a very good job of noting at every place where one of those exists and building relationships with the people who have them and setting up structures to pay for it. Those exist in every roadhouse. You can find them occasionally in a mechanic shop. And if if they're able to let you get onto those 32 amps, then I would need 8 to 10 hours instead of 12 to 14 hours or two days. So those were the opportunities to charge. And the friction is they're usually single points of failure. Yeah, and I know that's something that the National Network will look to address is that redundancy points. It's definitely, we're getting to a point with EV uptake in Australia where there's too many EVs on the road to let that happen too often. Even if all of those single points don't fail you, and I didn't get failed that often, but rarely was I competing for a charge point. In fact, I was turning off to Exmouth at the Billabong homestead, and that was the first time that I was on 32 amp three phase or a destination charger and had someone else show up wanting to use the charger. Because I knew I needed to charge overnight, I had booked a room at that roadhouse I was in having a shower and my car was hooked up and I came out and saw the Tesla and was hearing a knock at the door and it was the the people who owned that, that establishment and they were asking me if I might be able to let this guy with his Tesla charge. I knew that if I got on the charger by midnight, I'd have enough charge to charge the next morning. So I happily took myself off the charger and let him charge for a couple of hours. And because he charged so much faster, he could be on his way. And then I finished charging and it was really not a drama. But if I am rolling around in this car that's charging too slowly and there are multiple vehicles competing for these single points of power, I see that my trip a year ago may have been easier than someone trying to do that trip right now because there are more people out in electric vehicles competing for those spots. And the infrastructure that we need to scale to support those more vehicles is coming. Horizon is absolutely building a brilliant DC network. And once that's in place, you will be able to travel so easily through Western Australia and places where it was a drama. But for the now, I think it might be harder to do the trip than it was a year ago because there, you know, there's competition. And I, I would stress that when I say too many EVs, I, there aren't enough EVs in Australia. We need we need the uptake to help us reach our net zero, reduce our transport emissions. Cars and SUVs are increasing emissions in Australia. I, 
think you knew it at the time either. You were the first woman to drive around Australia in a non-Tesla EV, which is significant, right? Because we, we were writing stories already about people driving around Australia in Teslas and that was groundbreaking. Right. I wasn't doing a lap because I wanted to be a lapper. I didn't know lappers existed. I just really thought, here I am. I've gotten my citizenship. I've got this time, got this brilliant car. I love to see the country and I'd love to test the limits of this new EV system because you're right. EV is the future. I absolutely believe that. There's no such thing as too many EVs, but there are. there is such a thing as too many EVs competing for one charger in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, we just have to get that. We have to scale that infrastructure in such a way that, that it is a bit easier to make those journeys. Because right now, it's still a bit of an epic adventure. We should be at the point where that's not a big deal to just drive around Western Australia. Australia or the Northern Territories. And right now it still is a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, Horizon is rolling out um, a network across the WA. And I mentioned the NRMA is uh, going to be starting on its national network too. So I'll add some links to those in the show notes as well. What would you say to sort of getting back to the, the purchasing decisions people are making when deciding to go electric? Because we are, like we said, seeing a lot more people deciding to go EV now. What advice would you give to people in terms of what you ask dealers or or who should you talk to or where should you go to read to find out what you need to to make your informed decision? What I can tell you is I understood that I needed to have a battery capacity to go. I I thought that I had bought a vehicle that had a capacity in that 80 kilowatt battery to go 400, 415 kilometers. So my car absolutely can go over 400 if I'm in stop and go traffic, regenerative braking, all of that. What I learned was if you're doing long road trips, 315 was about all I could get. So the planning that I had done initially on the trip, I had all of these spots 400 kilometers apart, and I realized quite quickly I couldn't make that happen. So I had to replan to go 300 kilometers apart. Um, And so you have to ask, what is the reality of highway driving versus city driving? Because there is a big difference. Cold impacted the battery as well. And so that was another bit of learning curve. And so after you figure out what size battery do you have? How long will that battery take you under highway driving or under local errand driving? And you absolutely have to know how fast is it going to charge that battery? And that was a bit of a painful lesson for me. But as much as I go on about that, the slow to chargeness of my battery is absolutely not a problem now that I'm back home in New South Wales. It, it's just not. The reality is only if you're doing this lap in remote areas do you really have a struggle because I can drive for three hours and then come plug up my car here at home and be ready to go the next day you know and people don't typically drive over 300 kilometers in a day like that the reality is that my battery capacity was enough it was just the time to 
Yeah, sure. And then the other um, side of that coin, it's like a bit of a puzzle really, isn't it? Because the other factor that comes into what size is the battery is how efficient is the car. So, you know, the, the, the type of car, you know, if it's a hatchback or if it's a big SUV is going to change how much energy uses. And it's the same for petrol and diesel cars. We just don't think about it as much anymore because we've got service stations everywhere. At the moment, you know, if you're thinking about buying an EV, you need to ask the question, or, or, or do as a simple specs search on Google. There are some good websites out there that will tell you things like what the highway estimated range is and, and what it is in the city. And then the other things to remember, and this has actually gotten me once before too, is what if you run into an unexpected thunderstorm? I mean, actually, that can chew through the range pretty fast as well. So, you know, if you are trying to do those long stretches, you, you kind of need to always have a plan B. Have your plan A of where you want to charge at, but if you run into things like inclement weather, you might need to sort of have somewhere that you can charge as a backup. I I think those challenges are becoming less and less because I'm just astounded at how the DC chargers are popping up everywhere in the more populated areas. And so, you know, I don't want anyone to feel like it's too hard because it's absolutely not. And um, I've actually influenced a handful of friends to um, purchase electric vehicles. One, because, you know, they look at me and they say, well, Tiff can do it. Anyone can. Um, But they also see they're fun to drive. Oh, the torque on that car. I could pass any round train, any caravan that I came upon. Um, my car drives beautifully. I love the how how the EQC drives and the fact that it's electric. I'm willing to put in a few extra hours and and take the time to do a bit more planning in order to be a bit of a better citizen and have such a fun vehicle to drive. So there is more planning involved, but it's worth it. Have you got any other road trips planned or is it something that you think you'll do again in the future? Absolutely. You know, so I I made the choice in Darwin to go down the Red Centre instead of breaking off to um, the East Coast. Had I gone to the East Coast, there would have been DC chargers. It would have been a fast trip home, but I didn't want to miss out on the Red Centre and I'm glad that I didn't off. Like there's just some really magical spot that I am so glad that I got to see. I love the Nullarbor. I just thought it was stunning. And um, I particularly fell in love with Esperin. And when I got off the Nullarbor and went down into the coast there, I wouldn't mind taking a road trip out to Aspirants again soon. Right? It's a gorgeous drive along the Nullarbor. I, I want to do it again. The Nullarbor is actually easier than the Northern Territories because you do have that infrastructure of roadhouses set up. So as long as you have the right cords to hook into those 32 amp three phases, they're ready for you. And that's fairly easy. You know, there there are still a few challenges along the way. There was a 32-ounce plug in Eupla that you couldn't use when I went there. Granted, I didn't have my cords yet, but you couldn't use it because a Tesla had been there before and shorted out part of their electrical system drawing too heavily. And so they were a bit gun-shy to let anyone use it again. But once the, the DC system's in place, that'll make that super easy. But, you know, that was an 
collaboration, most of the most of the Nullarbor you could get to fairly easily. Did you get a cable with changeable heads on it? What did you end up getting? I did. And so it had a multi-head adapter on the front. The two that were critical for me were, were the 32-amp three-phase and the 15-amp carbon plugs. And that was the key to being able to do the trip. Without that, I couldn't have made it all the way around. Yeah, I've used the 15-amp tail on mine, stopping at caravan parts before too. And I will just remind people, if you're thinking of doing that, make sure you ask the park owners for permission. And I actually found that I should have brought an extension cord with me because the shape of the 15-amp tail on my cable didn't fit. You know, they've got those little cases around the power point. So that's something I definitely would do again. I had two long extension cords and used them quite often. Just want to go away for a weekend. That that can be done opening up ClickShare and making a few a few calculations on a plan. That's right. And another app that is useful for that is a better route planner. But you can put in what your model car is and then you put in uh, your starting point and your destination and it will estimate for you where you need to stop along the way. So it'll take a lot of that mapping and planning work and do it for you. You know, it'll say I'll drive down to about 20% and stay here for 10 minutes and get up to 33% and I sort of think, well, no, I'm, I'm going to stay a little bit longer. I'm not going to stay on the charger so long that I'm making people wait, but I will stay a little bit longer so I've got a bit of extra buffer on the battery before I go to my next point. I, I totally get that. I, I did find myself on the Nullarbor with Yolata was closed and I had, I that's where I, I thought, oh, so I, I ended up having to, do you guys call it hyper milling i'm not cool enough to knew, know that was a miling hyper miling just I, hyper miling right so i <laughs> i ended up driving like you know 50k an hour in the middle of the night there to get myself to the nullabor roadhouse so that there's an app that makes all of that happen is great but you actually have to have wi-fi <laughs> It's that kind of, a lot of times I would find, you know, I would have to do enough planning ahead so that if I was out of range of any actual mobile service, I could make decisions. I would screenshot maps and make a few notes along the way because I, I found there were parts in the Northern Territories in Western Australia where if I did not see the Telstra Tower, I did not have Telstra connectivity. And so it makes, you know, it's just another challenge. Yeah, and that connectivity issue. I know a couple of people who've actually taken their Starlink disc with them on road trips. They've got that Wi-Fi while they go. I was trying to go minimalist. Like, I didn't have a stove to boil water. I didn't have a cooler. Like, I was just like, if I have to have hot water out of my thermos and a can of tuna, that's what I'm going to have. You know, so Starlink seems very fancy compared to how I did (laughs) And I'm glad you did. I mean, it's certainly a really fascinating story and I encourage people to uh, jump on over to your LinkedIn post because that really goes into the day-by-day of it. Absolutely. They can also, we have a blog site on on my website for my consultancy, Solid Systems. So they go to solidsystems.io. We've got 
all of them together. So you can click on the blog page and read through. I ended up with like 20,000 kilometers. And it was those remote places, you know, like going up to, to the top end and, you know, seeing these beautiful swimming holes and being the only one there and, you know, flying out to see horizontal falls. And those to me were the special places. And there was nothing about having an electric car that limited me from doing it. I just had to be a bit smarter to make it happen because, you know, my options were limited, but they were there. It was doable. Fantastic. All right. Well, look, thanks, Tiffany, for talking with me about your amazing trip. I I think we've still got places to go with EVs in Australia, but we've certainly come a long way as well. Uh, I definitely feel like we're on the right track and I'm pleased that we're seeing more support in building up that infrastructure. It's, it's exciting times, really is. Yeah, it certainly is. All right. Well, thanks for coming on today. Happy to have been invited and it was fun to kind of bring Liz part of the experience with you. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Elevate EV podcast. Before you go, if you found this episode informative and engaging, don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast to stay updated on future episodes. And please don't hesitate to reach out to let me know what you liked or if you have any questions and I'll do my best to answer them on the next episode. You can find my contact details in the show notes. Thanks again and hope you tune in again next time.